City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's show, we are going to touch on Hornets 9 and 60, touching on all Hornets 9 rotation players in under 60 minutes, giving our kind of key thoughts on each, both good and bad. Um, that's going to be the focus of today's show. But before we quite get on to that, Chase, welcome in. How have you been getting on? I've been doing very well, settling into the groove of uh, the regular season here. We had our first Hornets back-to-back over the weekend, uh, so a, a very dramatic split in classic Hornets fashion, but... I've been doing pretty well here. How was your your week off last week and your, your vacation down to the south of England? Yeah, I had a great time. I um, it meant I you know took in a little bit less Hornets basketball. Um, but that's okay. We have to take our breaks as and when they come. And judging from the Brooklyn game, which I missed, I don't think I missed that much. Um, <laughs> no, because, not not in that game especially. No, Definitely, you not. go into that game and they're missing like. Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, you think, oh, this is a great chance, you know, get a kind of a, like a, a like a, a win with against the down team and just got smoked. But uh, but look, I'm glad we recorded after the last two back-to-back games because I think the tone of the show probably would have been very different if it was just recorded after those those three losses in a row. Hornets sitting at two and four. I'm not even going to tell you where they are in the Eastern Conference. It doesn't matter. We're six games in. Um, but there's been, look, there's been good and bad, and we're going to touch on, on all of that today in our 960, which I think is the first time we have done this format on the podcast, and it might be something that we we try every now and then throughout the year, and it's just a great way to kind of touch on a bunch of different guys and kind of like zoom out a little bit and talk about, you know, last episode we focused on Brandon Miller. This episode, we want to just touch on everybody because we've got six six games now of sample size, Upcoming back-to-back or upcoming two games against the Washington Wizards, which would be interesting to see there. But how is this going to work? Is we're going to talk about each player, starting with Lamella Ball, going down position. So we're going to go Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward. You get the idea. Then back through the uh, backup rotation as well. Uh, we're going to have around, I think it was, what, what did I say, Chase? Was it five minutes we worked out to be? What I can't even remember what I told you now. 
Yeah, it was about, a, I think it was three to five minutes around for each player, kind of rapid fire through each guy, but give it a little detail for each one as now that we've got a little bit more of a sample size to parse through here. Yeah, I think, so I figured it out. Nine players, 60 minutes. Um, that was going to be, this is this is great podcasting right here. Six minutes per player. There we go. We've got six minutes per player. So when that six minutes is up, you're going to hear our good friend MC Hammer. Stop. Hammer time. Every time the six minutes up. And that is code for us that we need to move on and move on to our next player. So, Chase, are you ready to go for the first ever 9 and 60? I am ready. Let's do it. Okay, let's get off. Uh, Lamella Ball. Um, wow, what an interesting start to the season. Um, I used the word interesting following uh, his fourth quarter last night where he just erupted. And to be honest, I thought the whole Dallas game, he was actually really good. Uh, what was it? Nine or 11 assists at halftime, which was, you know, even mm -hmm. though his shot wasn't falling in the first half, his, his pick and roll game last night against Dallas was just unbelievable in that first half. And then finished the game scoring the ball too. But let's be honest, before that point, Chase, and maybe before the, the fourth quarter in Houston, you have to say that so far this year, it has been a tough ride for my ball. Um, I think it's the rare case where you look at the stats and I think they're actually better than the eye test has been. Uh, the eye test for the ball has been pretty brutal. His turnovers are up. His fouls are up. His shooting from deep is off. And... He just looks a little bit indecisive out there, I think. Um, and, you know, LaMelo Ball has... We've, we talked about his lack of scoring around the rim, his lack of scoring in the mid-range. He's always been quite reliant on that three-point shot. And that's always worked for him, right? And I think now we're seeing the difficulty of when you have a LaMelo Ball who isn't scoring from three at, at will. And how else can you score in the game? I think his mid-range this year is down to 29% you know, just looking really unsure from that mid-range area. So, look, there has been some some green shoots with that fourth quarter in Houston, with that Dallas game. Obviously, that Dallas game was at 30 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds. Like, what an unbelievable performance. But I don't think all this, like, Lamella is back. Well, let's hope so, right? But I don't think we can just disregard the first five games where Lamella really struggled. And if I'm in honest, Chase, tell me if I'm wrong. If Lamelo Ball just has like average Lamelo performances in those first five games, I think the Hornets are like three and three, four and two. But he he actively really hurt the team just with his inefficiency, turnovers, and fouling in those first few games. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think you're wrong. I I don't know if it's necessarily like which games that he's going to be flipping with a good performance as an individual, but just like the confidence that he would instill in that offense in general by being a consistent shooting threat and the way that teams are going to have to defend him when he does eventually pick that up obviously is going to change the outcome of a game against a team that's not very good per se like the nets or the rockets or the pistons so any of those three games could have gone the other way if lamello had been building up any sort of a rhythm going into it but i mean up until the fourth quarter of the dallas game he had not been in rhythm in any way like just shooting is inefficient across the board. There's no area of the floor or shooting range from which he's efficient right now. There's been nothing positive to glean from that so far. I mean, he's impacted the game in a variety of ways. Otherwise, his passing is obviously really good. I'm pretty sure 9.3 assists is, I think it was fourth in the NBA right now, is at least top five. So that's obviously still being a productive or a productive part of his game. But apart from that, the defense that we saw in the preseason has still been pretty good, but you said the fouling has been so high up. I mean, he fouled out of the game that he had a triple-double against Dallas, which it's. Yeah. I feel like it's a very rare thing for a player to get a 30-point triple-double and still foul out at the end. And a lot of it is, I think, just frustration and a lack of, you know, maybe focus from being, you know, 0 for 5, 0 for 6 from 3. And how long have we been talking about the second half of games. Like right, since yeah. his rookie year. We, we were talking in like the second after 10 games rookie year, we're like, oh, the fouling he'll sort out. Like he'll he'll mature, he'll figure out not to get frustrated and go pick up silly fouls, he'll he'll adapt to NBA defense, and it's still a consistent issue. And we are now going into whatever year now, year four of Lamella Ball, and he's still taking himself off the floor at times. It's really mm -hmm. one of the most frustrating things because it's completely controllable. And by now, it should have been corrected. And this, like, again, just 
signals a lack of why aren't you learning and adapting here, Lamelo? Like this is something that you can control, and you're not. You're not learning from your past mistakes. It is a concern. I completely agree. I mean, I think he's been good in like in ball screens, and you you mentioned his pick and roll offense. His pick and roll defense, I think, has also been pretty good, but. It's just the committing shooting fouls that are completely needless or like reach in fouls or just in bad time situations, just committing these and taking again, like you said, taking yourself out of a game. Not that it was really in the balance still when he fouled out of that Dallas game. But I mean, you can't have something like that happen frequently. And he has had moments, right? You know, he had that obviously game-winning play on Tyrese Halliburton. That was a great play. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely, yes. You know, he he won them the game. That was right? probably his worst defensive game of the season to that point, too. Tyrese Halliburton had 41 points in exactly. that game leading up to that point. I tweeted <laughs> earlier in the game that this, like, he's flashed moments, but it's still not a consistent quarter-to-quarter full game of defense. Uh, there are moments where he seems really engaged. He seems to pick and choose when he does mm-hmm. it. That moment he chose to do it and he showed he can, which makes it even more infuriating when at other moments he doesn't. Um, but yeah, inconsistent, some progress, but still frustrating. What One last thing just to finish on here before we move on. Uh, this year, attempts at the rim, 21% of the shots came at the rim last year. That's up to 34% at the start of this year. Um, now shooting percentages, I don't pay too much attention to early in the season, but actually like shot diet and play style, those stats, you can actually put a little bit more credit into. And that's something I absolutely think with Lamelo. we've been saying for years that he needs to put a greater effort onto driving the ball, trying to secure in the paint, uh, not relying on that floater. And he's been doing that, which is good, but it's also just been ugly because he's not been finishing. And apart from that, I think one game in Detroit where he got free throws, he struggled to get to the foul line. So um, it's good that he's getting to the, trying to get to the rim more. That's obviously been clear from Steve Clifford, but the efficiency is yet to come. But like, you've got to try it. I'm glad he's experimenting. I've seen some different finishes. I'm hoping that's a short-term loss for a long-term gain. All right. We heard our friend MC Hammer on to Terry Rozier for number two. Obviously, the biggest thing with Terry right now is the groin strain that he suffered. Uh, in that game against the Pacers, but being listed as questionable against Dallas was a huge relief because in the moment it looked like he could have been out for like the foreseeable future with his reaction yeah. to it because he's not I a guy that so. reacts strongly to like you know bumps and bruises or anything. So I really thought he, that he might have been out for a couple weeks or something when that first happened because he could barely walk and was like grimacing his the whole way off the court, but only questionable against Dallas. So we'll see how long that maintains, but. He could be back here in the next couple of games. So definitely a good sign. But how does that uh, where, happen with NBA players? They go down, like can't walk and right, like yeah. be back in a few games. I, I was expecting to get the Hornets PR statement of, with a, you know, a groin, you know, with an MRI result. And it just never came. Yeah, no, I was, I was very, and it was a non-contact injury too, from what I believe. He just kind of came up limp, yeah. up, like coming around the screen. So I'm definitely glad he's okay, but it looked a lot worse. Then it ended up being in the in the moment for sure, um, but he actually has a some somewhat of a similar problem to Lamelo right now. Very inefficient from three. He's actually do, shooting pretty well from the rim uh, and from like floater range uh, in the mid range right now. But he's only twenty five point eight percent from three. So another like reason that the Hornets' offense wasn't so good in those first couple of games was him and Lamelo both just could not throw the ball in the ocean from the side of a boat in those first. Basically, once they, until they got to through that Nets game, the last couple of games against the Pacers and the Mavericks, they were a little better. Obviously, Terry didn't even play against the Mavericks, but still, the rim finishing is pretty good for him, but the three is not there yet. Uh, and something I've actually been thinking about a lot with him, too, is with Brandon Miller's emergence early in the season, and we'll talk more about him later, but Terry's role is actually like a little bit interesting to me because you probably want to use Brandon Miller a lot as that second unit playmaker as well. He's also kind of one of your best off-ball shooting threats. And if Brandon Miller ends up becoming a more efficient three-point shooter sooner than Terry Rozier, he becomes the bigger threat and the easier target for LaMelo in that regard. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how Terry's role evolves. Maybe he becomes more of like a playmaker or like a shot creator as like an on-ball, like isolation, late shot clock guy, kind of like more towards what Gordon Hayward does for the team in the offense right now. But definitely going to be... Curious to see just how soon he comes back from that groin injury first. But 
once that once that he settles back in from there, we'll see how it continues to evolve. But James, what are your thoughts on Terrozier so far this season? Yeah, I mean, Steve Clifford came into the season saying he's been the best player in training camp over the summer. Um, I, to be honest, from what I've seen, it's been like more of the same, really, apart from the, the three-point shooting hasn't been there, but he's actually been better at scoring in the paint. Like his driving, finishing around the rim has been, to my eye test, was really good. I checked the stats. It's pretty in line with previous years. Um, but like you say, 18% from the corners, 32% from above the break. You know, a few years ago, Chase, we we're talking about Terrorizier being one of the best off-ball shooters in the NBA, like from the shooting guard position. That's the conversation we had, and the stats backed it up. And it wasn't the case last year. We put that down to injury, playing more on ball. At the start of this year, I don't know what the excuse is. Maybe it's just shooting variants and he's going to come back. But if he shoots another like 32, 33% year from three, then that really does recalibrate where you are because all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you're counting him in to be like a 38, 39 three-point shooter on high variance and high volume. And he just doesn't look for it as much anymore. His rate's gone down. Um, so he's still these moments where he gets like he's got hot late in fourth quarters and a couple of games. But still, his, his biggest strength has been slashing to the rim. And that's improved. That looks better. And that's we shouldn't forget about that. But this team as a whole is shooting the three ball terribly. Not just shooting the ball terribly, but not getting any attempts. And Terry is here and Lamella Ball, but Terry specifically, like, he has to be better at that for this offense to score at an efficient rate throughout the season. A big piece of the Hornets being like a fast-paced, up-tempo team is also being a team that's a very good three-point shooting team. Terry is probably the biggest part of that, given that Lamelo is going to be the one driving those transition possessions and those up-tempo have to, uh, possessions a lot of the time. So you really, really need that off-ball threat and that guy that can just float out to the three-point line at really having any given opportunity off of a make or a miss and be somebody that can stretch the defense out for you. But right now, Terry has not been that guy through a couple of games. But I do think he's actually been maybe a little bit better than we would have expected as uh, like a secondary playmaker when LaMelo yeah. sits. I, he's at five assists per game, which is what he was averaging through the season last year in that same role. I mean, I, he seems to have like fully settled into that like secondary playmaker role when LaMelo is not on the court or when he's not available for whatever reason. So at least you can rely on him to do that, even through the shooting struggles, which obviously was the case last year too. So it's definitely pretty impressive that he's been able to evolve his game that way. Cause when he came to the Hornets, that was not something he was very effective at. The Hornets were not a good offense when he was the lead ball handler, but now it's, it's definitely taken a step up. Well, this is the thing. The, the eye test for me still isn't great. It's still like slow. It feels yes, like. Yeah, the it doesn't look great. It's, it's a lot of ISO ball, but you check the, the stats on it and the Hornets are actually a net plus and point differential when Terry Zier plays point guard than when Lamella Ball does, which like just does not match the eye test at all. Now, there is some funky stuff in there because Lamelo's played more with the backups than I think Terry has, and that affects it. So I think that's small sample size. Um, but it is absolutely something that the stats so far, the Hornets haven't been bad with Rosier playing point guard. That has not been the issue for them, uh, like some people thought it would be. Okay, Gordon Hayward, moving on. Uh, I think, look, overall, he had that really good game against Indiana where he was like hunting... Matherin and just absolutely abusing him in the post. That was great to see. But I think overall he's been solid. Look, he's a 33-year-old, 34-year-old vet now. We kind of, we know what Hayward does. I don't think he's going to shock anybody coming into the year and be like, whoa, what's what's he doing now? Um, but generally, like, he, he's been a good player who's fit into a wider system. And I just don't know if that's what the Hornets paid for. Like, your top paid player, your max, essentially a max guy, you, I sometimes feel that he goes missing for long periods of the game and he doesn't influence the game all the time. Um, now, his usage is back to his same levels as first series in Charlotte, and he's a really good kind of third scoring option, 43% from three this year, but only taking two a game. You know, this team needs to shoot more threes. We've touched on that. Um, so I think he's been good, but he's looked to me like he's playing in a role that like it's very comfortable for him. And I think for this team to maybe take it to the next level, they need a little bit more from him. Um, 
So I think it's been a perfectly solid start offensively for Gordon Hayward. Uh, the shooting has bounced back. Uh, the defense, I think, has actually looked a little bit better than in previous years. And I think that's the biggest clue to some of the better uh, defensive games he's had. He just looks healthier, right? His closeouts have been really, really sharp. He's had some strong interior play. He's actually got a good block rate so far. And I think that defensive effort shows up from being healthy. And, and he does look healthy to me. So that's that's definitely a positive. Um, as, lo- as long as he can stay healthy, like he is going to help this team in a lot of ways. Like his assists are way up this year. Um, he is being used a little bit more as a playmaker so far. So he's been always like a connector rather than maybe the scoring foundational piece that maybe we thought he was going to be when he signed in Charlotte. See, to me, I think he's like comfortably been the best player on the team so far this season. Yeah. Like I think pretty noticeably Mm. he's 17 points, six rebounds, five assists and two stocks per game, which I think is definitely something that's gone a little bit underrated. His, not only his, his, just the quality of his defense, but the production that he gets in turning the ball over. And he's also, I think he's at nearly one block per game right now. So he's definitely been a very versatile piece on that. And I think his point of attack defense is still just as good as it was last year, like down the stretch. I thought that was one of the biggest parts of the Hornets defense kind of flipping around down the end of the stretch last year and becoming that top six defense they were after Valentine's Day. I mean, I think he he definitely has left a little bit on the table in terms of like his efficiency from two point range, because I think he he was he exploded in the first half against Dallas. I think he had like yeah. like. 16 points or something like that in the first half. And then he finished like eight for 22 from the field. So he kind of dropped off of a cliff in the third and fourth there when they needed him. And the three point volume, like you said, could definitely be a little bit higher given the efficiency that he has right now. If you're going to shoot over 40%, you can definitely bump that up the volume a little bit, even if the efficiency takes a little bit of a dip from there, especially given Lamello and Terry's struggles from three, they could definitely use another like high volume, efficient three point threat. But other than that, like, I think he's been really, really good creating for himself and others. He's gotten to his spots in the mid-range and the low post really well. And I think the biggest reason for that is, like you said, the health is back. Like, he had all summer. And this is something that the pretty much everybody that in the Hornets front office and Gordon himself had mentioned when you asked them about it. Having a full summer of, like, healthy workouts and not having to rehab an injury, just being able to go to the gym, work on whatever you need to work on that day keep yourself in shape throughout the entire summer and then come into training camp ready to go is huge. Not only for like your individual, like skill development, but just the confidence that you have. Like he's clearly, I think attacking the rim with a much like more aggressive and just not necessarily like, like reckless abandon, but he's clearly like when he went up for that lob, like that was not, he was not looking to like protect himself at all against Dallas when he caught that one from Lomelo. Like he has one was... sneaky lob every year where right, he goes, "Oh, it's back." <laughs> See, I I definitely agree with that, but like, I, it's usually not in like the first week of the season, and he's not looking to. And then he had that cut for like off of the from the baseline where he just made that like one quick decisive move to the to the basket off the baseline, and he finished there. Like everything just seems a lot quicker. And just much, maybe a little bit more like bouncier, vertical. Like he's the lift that he gets on those pull ups. And like when he gets a defender in jail and gets a guy on his back and he pulls up with a free throw line, he gets pretty good lift on those jumpers to be able to shoot over like a drop yeah. big that's defending. Like it just seems like his game just has a little bit more pop to it right now than it has in the last couple of years. And having that healthy summer definitely helps. So I, to me, he's been the best player on the team so far. I definitely see why people would think otherwise because. I think he's only fourth in uh, field goal attempts per game, so he's not their number one option necessarily. But I think he's been the most effective with the opportunities he's gotten so far. You know what? I think you've almost kind of convinced. Maybe I'm just – I think I'm taking Gordon Hayward for granted because it's just like (laughs) what I expect. But then, like, you're right. I was surprised when you said he's the best player on the team, and then I looked at the team, and I was like, actually, yeah, he might have been. (laughs) So – I think I think you're right. I think I've been maybe taking Gordon Hayward for granted a little bit, and I think you made some very valid points. Stop. Time. Hey, that's that's timing on that one, right? Look at that. That was synergy right there. Right. You can take us next into your your next one, PJ Washington. All right, PJ Washington. I mean, while we're on the topic, I think PJ is probably the only guy that could compete with Gordon for maybe best player on the team through six games title right now, which is the, a very illustrious award to have. I'm sure that. 
the winner of this award is going to have it on their mantle once we send it to them. But uh, PJ has been great so far this year. The mid-range and floater game in particular has been so good. And this is something we talked about like periodically throughout last season because he was flashing it a little bit uh, so in good. Those, those games where he was like the number one option and would have those big scoring nights. I think OKC when he had that career high, he made a bunch of those little like Rashawn Holmes-esque push shots, so like shrugging off the con or contact and flipping the ball like over his shoulder, like out in front of himself a little bit. He might be like the new innovator of those shots now that Rashawn Holmes just seems to be like banished to the bench in Dallas. Like PJ is probably the foremost purveyor of the the mid paint like push shot from yeah. eight ish feet, like flipping it over your shoulder. And he's just so strong and fluid and has the size to shoot over like enough defenders of both like bigs or smaller bigs and bigger wings that like he really can match up against pretty much any team like there aren't that many teams that are going to have a guy that can just lock down pj both like as when he gets downhill or being a guy that can just find some spaces and get open as like a floor spacer because there aren't that many bigs that can stretch it the way that he does and there aren't that many wings that can keep up with him in terms of strength when he drops his shoulder into you in the middle of the paint and creates that contact. So, I mean, he's been very efficient so far. He's 55% from the field, second leading scorer, hasn't rebounded well, and that's been like the team's biggest weakness, I think, so far to me, defensive rebounding. So I'd like to see a little bit more there, but otherwise I've per loved pretty much everything from PJ so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted about his those exact plays earlier today, so you can go find out on my timeline. Um, PJ Washington is currently shooting 70% at the rim and 52% from the mid-range. And that's in large part just down to these, like, they're not even Euro steps, because Euro step, you kind of go, like, one way and back the other. He just kind of drives and then just suddenly jerks to one side. It's like a half Euro. I, we need to come up with a name for it. We need... Like we, that's a challenge for listeners or a challenge for you for next week, Chase. We need to come up with a name for the PJ Washington floater. Like there has to be something we can do. We can do there. Um, yeah, PJ Washington's looked really good. Um, I, you think about the skill development he's had since a rookie. He came in as a three and D guy. He just got threes. Stood in the corner and shot threes. He was good at it. But now you can see that he scores in the pick and roll. He's a good pick and roll dive man or a pop guy. Uh, he he's more pull up game now in that mid range. If he kind of gets run off the line, he has that floater game. He's really diversified his offensive game since coming in as a rookie, um, and that's just incredible to see. Like you, it's hard when you look back, but year by year he's just built this slowly, and it seems to be coming together this year. And he's finding some consistency now. Can we call it consistency after six games? No. But so far, he hasn't had these, you know, two of 12 performances where he just disappears. He's been impactful in every single game he's played so far. If he can keep that up, just what he's doing right now for the rest of the year, that would be a great season for P.J. Washington. Um, you mentioned the defensive rebounding. Look, it's still a massive issue, and it's actually got worse this year, not better. And it was already probably one of his biggest weaknesses as a power forward. At this point, maybe we just have to get Use the fact that like PJ is just never going to be a rebounder, um, and that probably does limit your ceiling as like a four man shoot who shoots the ball. You need to have like an absolute glass eaters all around you. Luckily for him, like Lamella Ball is a great rebounder, so that kind of does fit well with the Hornets team specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I think PJ's had a really good start to the season, um, and I think you're right. Probably the guy challenges Gordon Hayward for for best start to the year. Do you think we got some time left here in the timeout? We do you think PJ Washington with his start to the year? Do you see him moving to the bench when Miles Bridges comes back in four games? Mm -hmm. See that I honestly haven't even thought all that much about that yet. Right off the bat, I think I'd say no. I think I would yeah. probably at the moment, I think you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt, like reward him for his performance in the season and kind of just tell Miles, like, hey, he's been playing really well. One of the best players on our team right now. Like, we just gave him a new contract. Like, you got to work your way back into the lineup in the same way that he had to work his way back into the lineup when Miles originally burst onto the scene a couple of years ago. Like, PJ got relegated to the bench and then worked his way back up and became the player he is now. So, yeah. I feel like you got to give him credit for that. I absolutely agree. And I'm someone who at the start of the year, I would have thought Miles Bridges will be starting, but 
when someone has played this well, and if he continues to do so, you've got to you got to make him earn it, right? Miles got to earn that spot back. And I also do think that second unit needs some of Bridges' playmaking, maybe a little bit more as well, and that could fit there. So, uh, you know, as he gets into NBA shape, I think that makes sense. Um, we still got time left, but let's uh, let's not let's not waste it. Let's move on to our next guy, which is going to be uh, Mark Williams. But before we do, I want to quickly tell you about our online t-shirt store. If you haven't checked it, in the show notes, on your podcast or on YouTube, wherever you're listening or watching this, you'll see we now have a link to an online store where you can buy an All Hornets Podcast Network t-shirt. We have a couple of quotable t-shirts on there. Uh, I think we have Hotter Than Fish Grease. And the other one we have is Hum Diddly D. Um, so if you like to show your the passion of a Hornets fan, and get your nice little niche hardcore fan t-shirts. There's not many better places to go. So you can find that in the show description for this podcast. Also, want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by allhornets.com, a credentialed Charlotte Hornets media outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage and all things Charlotte Hornets, from breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, in-depth analysis. Allhornets.com does it all, and nobody does it better. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, let's move on. Mark Williams. Um, I'm going to say this, and this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. Mark Williams has looked like an average NBA starting center. And I want people to realize that's a good thing. That's By saying that, I'm saying he's better than 15 out of 30 other starting centers in the NBA, which, look, I know the Hornets' excitement for Mark Williams and fan excitement was off the roof, we did not know that before the start of the season. And he is only going to get better from here. So I think at this point, you can say he's like a top 15 center in the NBA. And he's only going to improve. So, I mean, would you think that's a, a fair a fair statement, Chase? Completely fair assessment. I think right now, he might be... I don't want to say he's closer to 10, but he's definitely inching his way up there. I mean, career high... We'd have to list the guys, points. wouldn't we? We'd have to go through and list. Yeah, Maybe that's right, a job right. we can do later in the season here as we get into, yeah. you know. That's actually, yeah, that's a good idea. 40, 50, we can rank people in positions. That'd be a good, good episode. Yeah, cause, I mean, I've, I have a feeling, especially by then, if the developments that we've seen so far continue, I mean, by then he definitely might be pushing top 10. So Mark yeah. has been so good this year, like, like a career-high 27 points against Indiana, nine free throws in that game. The, the best thing about it to me is, to be able to draw those free throws, it's not like he's, you know, this overly deceptive big that's like drawing contact on like a bunch of pump fakes and like 
crazy like Alper and Shangun like spin moves or something like that. He's just corralling every single ball that comes into the, the relative area of where he's standing. And if he comes down with it, he goes right back up and you basically have to foul him or else he's going to finish it. Because when he when you don't, he's shooting like what high 60s percent at the rim, I think right now or from the field overall, like I you mean, basically his... have to foul him or it's an automatic two points because he's just so yeah. big and has such good hands and can get pretty much his catch radius is so wide has one of the largest standing reaches recorded at the combine. If you're not other than Taco Fall. Like there's just so many positives to him as like a threat just standing underneath the rim that you have to foul him or else he's going to score. And for his size, he's so nimble. Like he had, he's had yes. a couple now, three or four alley oop catches where the pass isn't quite perfect. Like that one up. against the Pacers was ridiculous. Oh, that lay, was laid it up softly ridiculous. off the glass. Uh, just unbelievable touch, agility, everything. It's just. It's just really special. He, he's so agile. I'm almost like worried he's going to get injured at some point because he's just like so flexible with what he can do. But you talked about his scoring efficiency. Currently, his effective field goal percentage, uh, second in the NBA, 81% behind <laughs> Kaysen Wallace, the rookie for Oklahoma City Thunder, who is somehow at 82%. Um, just unbelievable offensive efficiency. I will say... I've been a little bit disappointed with his rim protection, and I can hear the Hornets fans booing here. But his 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 block percentage has gone down. I think it's at two percent right now, which is basically bang average for a big man. And for like his big selling point with coming in was to be an elite rim protector. That is not necessarily translated just yet. I don't think it helps being in a Steve Clifford system where Clifford doesn't want the, his bigs to foul. So I think he gambles a lot less than maybe we would do at other teams, but. The Hornets as a team are 12th in defensive rim percentage, and they were third last year. And by playing Mark Williams, Nick Richards, basically 48 minutes a night, their big position, they should be like a top five defensive rim percentage team. Um, and they haven't quite got there yet. Um, so that is one thing, like, I would say the he certainly has moments. He certainly, look, we're, we're, I'm not saying he's worse than Mason Plumley. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're in a different level here. But Overall, I sometimes feel like I could see him getting his hands on just like a few more balls, but he does alter a lot of shots that so doesn't block. But that's the same with all all bigs who are, you know, rim presence. They always have that there. Yeah, and he's definitely just going to be a natural deterrent just due to his size. But it does seem like that one highlight block where he just like caught the ball out of the air against the Hawks is kind of like his only real rim protection highlight of the season. Like every other best well mark's best moments that you'd think of from the year are all offensive plays right now which is definitely fine i mean i was looking at this uh today because i was thinking about his pick and roll connection with lamello which i you the like palpable chemistry between the two of them like lamello finds him in the, the shooting pocket like so often when he's on the roll and it just always ends up like right in mark's hands and mark has the ability to go up on either side of the rim and finish with touch around the basket or just dunk the ball if he needs to but he is scoring 1.6 points per possession as a PR role man right now. Like it's like that is that is just crazy production. And all he has to do, he's he's such a good screen setter too, which just makes it even better because he can he takes advantage of his size in all of the ways that are necessary to be a good role man, like great hands, great catch radius, nimble, sets great screens, strong, rolls hard to the rim every time like looking to either score or make a play like he's not just doing it just to take up space it's always with a purpose very very good in that regard so far and i feel like I, people weren't really looking forward to mark as an offensive player when he came into the league but he's been yeah. really good on that end so far and i think the rim protection will become more consistent in time so i think it will as he learns players as he gets more comfortable starting the scheme but i agree i think so far he's been better offensively Probably than he has been defensively, and I'm gonna I'm gonna disrespect. There we go. I'm gonna disrespect MC Hammer right now because I want to finish on this last point. Um, you talked about the rapport building between Williams and Ball, and it's something I've noticed too. How many assists do you think Lamelo Ball has got with Mark Williams so far this season? Mm, total, like across the to total games? across across all the games. I have the number. Uh, I'll go fourteen. Nine. 
Nine. Okay. Which ranks third. Now, this was taken from today, so I don't know if it had last night's data in from the Dallas game. I presume it did, but I don't know for sure. I would imagine so, um, yeah. That ranks third on the team. Hmm. Who do you think the two people had? Um, number one, I'm going to guess, is PJ. Ding, ding, ding. 17 assists to PJ. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds right. A lot of those yeah. layups come off of Lamelo's. I number Is number two Gordon Hayward? It is. Gordon Hayward, there we 12. Go. Just, right. hey, you did well. You passed the test. Uh, gold star for you. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. In, in my head, like, he was going to be higher. I just think that his assists to Mark are always so, like, loud. and jump Yeah, off that's definitely true. Through. Yeah. Okay, no more disrespecting MC Hammer. Let's, let's move on to Brandon Miller. All right, so, I mean... I think this guy officially had his welcome to the NBA moment against the Dallas Mavericks. Brandon Miller in his first career NBA start uh, was not a very effective offensive player in that game. Uh, struggled to shoot from the floor, did not make a three. I believe he was 0 for 5 from three in that game. I don't think he struggled like with a particular player or anything like that. Like the person defending him wasn't really the reason why. He just kind of faded out of the offense. I uh, definitely didn't have that same like on-ball presence as he had in the first couple of games. He had a couple of like very timely mid-range buckets, but uh, didn't really, you know, show up all that much at the end of the game. Wasn't really a huge part of the, the crunch time performance there. Uh, he obviously has been very good on the season still, but it was interesting to see in his first start, like kind of how he was utilized. It was strikingly similar to the first couple of games. I, I, I would be curious to see the lineup data, but I imagine that who he was on the floor with was, pretty similar like throughout the time other than Terry Rozier being there. It didn't seem like he was given necessarily any more or less offensive responsibility with Terry out. It was kind of deferred to other players apart from Brandon Miller and maybe the other guys on the back end of the rotation that came in to eat some of the minutes as well. Uh, but I, I overall, I'm still very impressed with him on the season. We talked about him a lot in the last episode. He's still like the mid-range game looks great. He's a great ball handler for his size. James, what are what are your thoughts here on on Brandon Miller? Yeah, he's cooled off a little bit since our last episode. We can't we can't we can't duck that. Interesting. I'm talking here. His usage this year is at fifteen point nine percent. That's a lower usage than Teo Maladon at seventeen point two, which is a little bit of a shock, I think. And I think that's one thing. I think that's probably by design by Clifford. Like he doesn't want to just go out there and just put Brandon Miller in pick and roll situations. He wants to ease him into it. He's still learning so much. And this is, I think, normal. That's going to creep up by the end of the year. I expect him to be probably like settling in somewhere probably similar to PJ Washington. PJ's at 18%. I imagine that's where Brandon Miller will get by, by the end of the year. But that's something that I just thought jumped out to me a little bit. Um, look, the defense is just where I've been most impressed. And I posted a, a, a kind of quick... Uh, video on my Twitter page. Uh, I think it was after the Indiana game. In fact, it was at halftime of that game. So far this year, he has defended Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald. Like these are some really, really difficult guys to guard. And he has been high effort, high IQ, locked into the game plan. Yes, he's still lacking strength, but his technique is just really exceptional. There's still been times he's picked up rookie fouls, but Overall, I, I said this in my tweet, I, I think he's the best rookie defender shot I've had since Michael K. Gilchrist. And if he gets stronger and once he gets more comfortable and has got used to playing against guys, we could be talking about a, a proper two-way player. Someone who really can guard the best players on the other teams. That's what he's been doing already as a rookie. Um, so I think that's just super interesting, intriguing going forward. Um He's played about 50% of his minutes split between shooting guard, small forward so far. I think that's probably going to increase to shooting guard going forward with Rosier's injury. But you mentioned the Dallas game. I still think that's, you know, it doesn't surprise me that his worst game has come on the first night of a back-to-back. -back. Like, that's just not something that guys have to do in college. And you always hear about guys when they're going to the NBA, that's the biggest adjustment they make is the number of games, the travel. Um, and no one's going to say this, but the mono will still be affecting him. Anyone who's had mono knows that this is not something that you just get over in a month. And I know we had it back in April, May, 
but that mono can stick with you at times for up to a year, for up to 18 months in some aspects. And when you're run down with lack of sleep, when you're tired, that's when mono like re resurfaces. It can kind of like come back as a virus. So again, it wouldn't surprise me if th that some fatigue of that back-to-back -back game and that was uh, something playing in there. But overall, I still like what I see. I'm excited to see him as part of the starting unit with Razier out going forward. Um, yeah, I think he's he's still continuing to play well, looking smooth and controlled out there. And the fact that Steve Clifford is playing him so many minutes is just uh, reinforces how well he's doing. Yeah, I was going to say, he played 36 minutes in that loss to Dallas in his first start. The fact that he was that poor of a scorer in that game and was still trusted to play 36 minutes shows you that his defense was extremely good for the entire yeah. game. Like, he plays with effort he plays with an edge like chip on his shoulder on that end he's extremely quick in rotation and always always fighting around screens and stuff like that he's definitely somebody that like you said could be that two-way wing that really this team has not had in like i i don't want to say a decade because that just makes it sound sad but like basically since like gerald wallace like somebody that's like that high level of a player on both ends of the court at the three position like I, it's it's tough to to dig that far back, but his, I, he field, really might, his field like, of the game is off the charts. I, yeah, I, like he's both, really the like, only player that has that type of potential. Talking about both ends, I I don't I can't think of a Hornets player who as not even as a rookie, just like having a wing that just yeah. reads the game as well as he does. It, it's been it's been a long time. Um, yeah, like Gordon Hayward was a good player at the time when they signed him, but he wasn't that level of defender. He was more of a like brought in to be a scoring piece like Brandon Miller being able to do both play both aspects and the court at that high of a level is something this team hasn't had in a while and it's definitely nice to have in the fold so far yeah okay moving on to our rotation players Nick Richards um almost averaging a double double over his last three games um look the twin tower combo of Nick and Mark we might have to come up with a with a nickname for that as well because just right now, we talked about Nick Richards being one of the best backup centers in the NBA in the preseason. And I think he's been every piece of that. He had a slow start his first couple of games, but he's been on a tear recently. Um, here's the good and the bad, right? The good is right now, Nick Richards has the highest block percentage in the NBA at 5.4%. There is no one blocking more shots per minute than Nick Richards. That what it doesn't take into account is the goaltends and also that Nick Richards has the uh, fifth highest foul rate in the NBA, which helps also give a little bit of context to that number, which it's not quite as impressive when you look into that, when you see that there's been several goaltends. He's been, you know, challenging, probably over-challenging, being a little bit too aggressive going after shots. So there's the good and the bad, right? And finding a happy medium is where Nick probably wants to land eventually. Um, but overall, just to be able to be leading the NBA in anything is impressive. Um, so I think that's, you know, potentially has, is reading the game a little bit better on the defensive end, being able to be in position to get some of these blocks. Um, but mostly it's, he's just picking up where he left off last season. He's not doing anything too different. He is just playing the same role. And there's really, I didn't find there's much to say about Nick because you know exactly what you're going to get every single night. And that I say that in the kindest possible way because the Hornets just do not have to worry about their center rotation, starting or backup, for the next three years. It's just not a concern. I, I, these guys are going to be the starting centers for this team going forward unless there is some trade where you can get some big haul for Nick Richards and something else and they decide to, to cash in. But um, look, it's been the Hornets have had so many bad centers over the years. It's great that they finally have two, not just adequate, but good ones. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about Mark that you thought he hadn't been gambling quite as much. Maybe Steve Clifford just told Mark, he's like, hey, man, you're the starter. We need you at the end of the games to close. Like, we need you out there on the court as much as possible. You can't gamble as much. Nick? lose your mind like I'll go for it anything you want just, just jump yeah just if you think you can get it just jump for it grab it like swat it out of the air I don't care how close it is to the rim I mean 
That, but to be fair to Nick, that one against Dallas, that was a pretty big call in the moment. That I did not think was a goaltend. So that brought his numbers up a little bit, I think, uh, even though he didn't quite deserve it. But either way, he's definitely much more of a gambler than Mark has been as a rim protector this year, unquestionably. Some of the like illegal screens and all that stuff are still there as well. Yeah. Which, But I mean, for like you said, for a backup center, though, like, you can't expect them to just have like no flaws or have nothing like that negatively impacts the game at any point. Like he finishes like almost as efficiently as Mark Mark's 81% from the field right now. Nick is 76.2%. So not very far behind and on a very similar shot diet. Like Nick also is a very good screener, decisive roller. It can has a wide catch radius can be a lob threat as well as somebody that can just catch it on the short roll and go up and finish. Like, you really can't complain all that much about Nick. Like like you said, there's not a ton to say about him, but it's not in any way a bad thing. Like he just goes out, does what he's supposed to do, what you expect him to do, does it well, and then that's pretty much it. And at the end of the game, you look up and he's got, you know, eight to twelve points and six to eight rebounds. And there you go. If Nick was on the Dallas Mavericks, he would be starting in place. He would, of yeah, Lively. he would probably. I, mean, I think he would average a double double on the Dallas Mavericks. Like there's a no like question. He started like he would be eleven points, fourteen rebounds, two blocks yeah. every single night. Um, the Hornets don't have quite the same level of shooting and spacing, and obviously, like players who are, co- are often committing two defenders, like Dallas do. Um, and that's why you know that's why Derek Lively is able to put up such huge stats because they've got two men essentially guarding Luka Doncic at all points. Um, but he could start on various playoff teams. So I, I think Nas Reed still probably has the title as best backup center in the NBA right now, but I think Nick Richards is right behind him. Yeah, completely agree. I don't want to cut us short here on, on Nick's yeah. time, but should we roll on to, to the JT Thor here? Let's roll. All right. So I don't, I don't want to take up too long here because I think of all the players on the list – that we're talking about here, all, all nine of these guys, I think JT Thor is the one that I have have the least amount of positive things to say about through this season so far. And say uh, the I, negative things. Give us the negative things, I know, things, I know. <laughs> I've, I've never been somebody that was super high on JT anyway, like coming out of the draft. I didn't, I think he was a like mid-30s prospect for me. Was never somebody that really impressed me all that much in summer league or as a rookie or sophomore. And now, like, he obviously is far and away the best player from that 2021 draft class. Don't get me wrong, but I still just don't think he's really anything close to the offensive threat that the Hornets really like, not necessarily need him to be because they're still a decent team with how he plays now. But if he was just a better shooter or had any of that off the dribble creation that he showed when he was at Auburn, like that would just help the second unit offense so much. Like I feel like we're watching these games so often and the second unit either scoring, playmaking or shooting is just not there. And when LaMelo, Terry Hayward, or some combination of those guys are all sitting, it's just such a clunkier basketball game. Like you can see that these players don't necessarily fit together as well. And if you just had like a spacing, like spot up four that could really stretch out the defense and attack a closeout and finish like athletically at the rim, drive a little bit, he doesn't even have to be like a playmaker or anything like that. Like it would just be such a big boost to the second unit offense and JT is now in his third year and hasn't been that really at all like at any point in his career he's a really good defender for his position like no doubt about it like six nine three four like versatile maybe a little bit of small ball five in a different system but just not a whole lot there for me and like this year has been pretty much the same deal like low 30s percent from three reasonably efficient from the field but doesn't create enough to make it worth it, doesn't pass, not a rim protector, solid positional defender, but the role for that in the NBA is just ever shrinking, I feel like. So, but James, give us give us some JT Thor positiveness right now, please, unless you don't have any and in which case we're in trouble. Well, if we're talking about this year, I don't have a great deal, right? He's not had this he's not carried on what how he played at the end of last season where in the last 15 games JT Thor made major strides. Um and he's not, you know, yeah, did he make series. a three and I think 15 games to end the season or something yeah, like and, that. And just around that, his general play, like everything looked like it slowed down for him. The Burrs out training count was pretty good around JT. But I agree, coming in, he just looks kind of like first half of the year JT from last year. And 
I still have some faith that it's gonna it's gonna look better here. Um, I think the like you say the lack of creation scoring in that second unit is is hurt um, hurt, hurt him a little bit. Like when he plays with Nick Richards, that is just two very low like offensive skill guys in your front court, and you put such a load in your other three players. But I actually looked it up. JT Thor when he plays with Mark Williams and who is like. Uh, a better, much better offensive center than Nick Richards. Just ability to like probably finish around the rim. Like Nick is just a get like jump off, get play finisher, yeah. yeah, Mark has more craft. I think the defense yes. pays more attention to Mark when he has the ball. Uh, when he's sharing the court with Mark or PJ and not Nick Richards, he's at like a plus eight point five differential. So he, I think he needs to be the worst offensive player on the floor. And then, like, he's okay because of his defense. But, yeah, just puts a big load when he's playing right next to Nick. Um, he still can't put the ball on the floor and do anything off the dribble because he's just – dribble is too loose. I still feel he struggles to process the games quickly. That's something that really improved last year, but it, it hasn't carried over yet. His usage rate is 9%. I mean, that is very, very low. The shot still looks smooth and he shoots it with more confidence now, but doesn't quite go in as much as you hope it would. Um, 33%, uh, 33% uh, as, 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 is that right? I've got this down. 33% at the rim. Is that right? That's maybe that's 33% from three, I think, is the must be what you mistook. He, he's shooting 33% exactly from three right now. Okay. I think maybe he's that's like 40 something percent from, from the field right now, 46 or so. So he must be a little yeah. bit higher at the rim, but still. He's 50% at the great. rim. Now that, yeah, that's, that's still, still not great. Yeah. I mean, that's only six shots, but the fact that he's only taken six shots at the rim for like a 6-10 big is is not great. And, you know, he didn't score out the rim last year. He was 50% as well, which is in a fifth percentile for all forwards, which is very, very low. Um, so, like, he's not a great shooter on the outside. He struggles to finish on the interior. Yeah. He's like actually a pretty good mid-range shooter, but that's just a pretty narrow lane that he's trying to drive here. And the big thing for me is just the defense. It has not been the same level this year. This has been the big worrying thing for me. He's made some really bad coverage mistakes. Um, you know, that's what's supposed to be his strength. Um, but absolutely so far, he's picked up bad fouls. He's sometimes lost players. He's not been able to close out well. And those have been some of the concerns for me. So look, it's been... Not a lot of great things to say about JT yet, other than I refuse to see that he's gone backwards from those last 15, 20 games last year. Maybe not refuse. I'm reluctant to see. Uh, I'm hopeful he's going to find that kind of form again because he did show it and the buzz was good. I hope so too. I mean, that the jumper has always looked smooth. So I, there's always a part of me that thinks that one of these days he's just going to catch fire and be a 40% shooter. Hopefully it's soon. Okay, moving on to our final player, Teo Maladon. Um, I can't say I have a lot of great notes here. <laughs> Teo Maladon, look, I remember I was on this podcast saying that six or seven games into the season, people are going to be complaining about Teo Maladon or Nick Smith Jr. playing back at point guard. And they're going to be the same people who are saying that the Hornets should just, you know, shouldn't go out and sign anyone or trade anyone. And that's exactly what's happening. Teo has really struggled um, shooting the ball. It's just been a complete offensive liability. That said, I actually think he's defended really well in his minutes, but he's been playing as like a shooting guard. Steve Clifford does not trust trust Teo Maladon to be the point guard right now. He's always paired with Rozier or Ball, uh, or it was Ish Smith for a very brief period last night. Um, and it's just... If you can't shoot and you can't play on ball as a creator, even if he's good at defense, you just need to have more to your game to be an NBA rotation player. You can't just be too narrow in that skill set. So he was good in the Dallas game, especially in that first half, but he just lacks that offensive consistency night in, night out. Um, so if anything, what we've seen so far for me is Tim Maladon is not a long-term point guard right now, or is it certainly not at the moment? Who knows how much that shoulder injury is still affecting him? It definitely still could be. Um, but it's just been, he's been good defensively, but almost unplayable offensively. 
Yeah, and I, I I think I brought this up on the last podcast too. Like his jumper just does not look good, like mechanically. Like I definitely think that that shoulder injury, maybe not pain wise, is still affecting him, but just the lack of reps that he got in the preseason and during training camp seems to be affecting him right now as a spot up shooter from three. I mean, he is just a complete non threat, both off the catch, off the dribble. Really, the only way that he can impact the offense positively right now is when he gets a ball screen and can make a read out of it. But again, those situations are few and far between because, A, like you said, he's paired with another guard that's going to get the bulk of those reps anyway because Terry and Lamella are both better at ball screen navigation as a ball handler than he is. And B, he can't shoot and he can't drive and he can't get to the rim at, at a high enough rate to where any defense is going to like respect that and do anything other than just say, okay, here you go. You can take this, you know, elbow jumper or whatever, which I think he made one against Dallas. And I think he made a three against them as well. Uh, but that was pretty much it. Like those really, he kind of just faded out after that. Uh, he had like a quick five points, like in the first quarter, I think with him and Nick Richards. And then after that, he was basically invisible for the rest of the game. And it's, it, it's definitely like, pro- I mean, right now I, probably would still say he's like the best option as a backup point guard, maybe until Ish gets like fully into game shape. But I mean, in like a week or so, I think of of repeated performances like these for Maladon, I think Ish Smith is probably going to start getting the bulk of his minutes once he's, you know, fully up to speed. If, if Teo keeps it up. I mean, Ish was one, you know, he had one foot in retirement, so I can promise you he probably wasn't training as hard over the summer as most of these guys. Yeah, definitely. Like, I was I was hoping that he would be able to come in and make more of an impact, but it's pretty clear I think that he's just not in physical shape yet. You know, yeah, the, the, I think the, mental... the, the I think the Pacers game was the first game he even dressed for, right? Like, yeah, I, I yeah. don't think he was even had warmups on until then. Yeah. Um, nope, I don't have anything else to add to Teo. I mean, I, th- I think as we've seen. The, the bench options, Thor, Maladon have not been great. The, the Hornets have not played a lot of guys, right? The fact that they've only played no. nine guys, I think I've seen it's like the lowest number of players yeah. who received minutes in the NBA so far. And I've seen some people try and throw that as a criticism towards Steve Clifford for that. I mean, let's look at the context here. I think that's for good reason. You've got Miles Bridges suspended, injuries to Frank Nilakina, James Booknight, Cody Martin. You just signed Ish Smith out of retirement. I mean, you're talking about five players there who are just simply unavailable right now. Who do you want Steve Clifford to play? Nick Smith Jr.? Uh, okay, I guess. But I, I, I just don't understand that, that criticism being put that way. I think Clifford is trying to win games, which I completely understand at this point in the season. And right now, I think playing the guys he's played has given him the highest chance. I don't have any qualms over really any of the rotation decisions yet. No, I mean, the only player that you could maybe put in and expect to get a positive impact from is Nick Smith. Like, other than that, you're just down to your two-way players, one of which is well, already McGowan's, in your McGowan's who's been back recently. Oh, but true. Yeah, I, that's true. So. I was looking at the, the minutes log from the last game, and he did play 10 minutes in his season debut against Dallas. But even so, like, that's still, that's he's, one guy. Like, that's it. And he's playing with, like, obviously an ankle that is not 100%. Right. That he's yeah. sprained twice. It's not like he is, you know, full of beans and jumping up and down, ready to go. He is probably playing through something that is still sore and is still limiting him a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I, I that was, I, I'm completely with you. I would not, you know, stretch out this rotation any further than it has been so far. I don't think that that would be beneficial for the Hornets if they're trying to win games at all right now. So, yeah, um, I'm totally with you. That, that, I think the the Dallas broadcast noted that when I was watching the game. Uh, back this morning as well. And I, I thought that was a very cool nugget myself. Yeah. All right, Chase, we are done with our first ever Hornets 960. Um, we got through a lot of info there. Whew. We did. We, we need to pat ourselves on the back. You know, it's a lot harder to prep for a podcast where you have to talk about all nine players than it is where you just talk about one. This took some time today. So uh, thank you for listening. And if you made it all the way to the Teo Maladon section and you're still listening now, Congratulations, you are a Hornet Seco because to stay to the end for Teo is a we, we respect you for that. Yes, absolutely. If you're if you're sticking around for Teo Maladon takes, then I regret to inform you you are an intoxicated Hornets fan. So but so are James and I. So you're not alone. That's at least yeah. the best part. 
Um, two games this upcoming week. Washington Wizards. Big games. Got to play them twice. Uh, Chase, is anything other than two wins acceptable right now? I think that would be huge if they could get two. I don't know if I would be, you know, too upset if they split just because, you know, playing the same team twice in a row, it's hard to beat a team in a two-game set. But, man, it'd be nice to beat what could very well be the worst team in the league right now and the Washington Wizards, one that just does not seem to play a very cohesive, uh, you know, winning in brand of basketball so it would be nice to get a pair of w's here get back to 500 as well four and four yeah. through eight games it feels pretty it feels pretty big these two games um the, mm-hmm. the wizards have, have given up 143 points 126 130 121 <laughs> they did only give up 106 to the memphis grizzlies who were obviously having their own oh, issues the one and six memphis grizzlies yeah yeah, um, so we're talking about a team which is really struggling on the defensive end right now. So, look, no Rozier, no Terry Rozier, or with Terry Rozier, uh, this team have to come out this this stretch, I think, with a couple of wins. Because after this, the reason we've been so you know pushing that the start of the season is so important is because this is the easiest part of the Hornets' schedule, the easiest schedule to date. Uh, after this, things are only going to get harder. So the Hornets need to fatten up on these easy games. And if they don't, then when it comes to a four game losing streak in December, when you're on the road in the West coast, you can deal with that. If you beat teams like Washington twice in a row. So big week for the Hornets. Um, If they played like they did against Indiana, like they did against Dallas, they should be good enough. If they played like they did against Detroit and Houston, they're going to struggle, right? So there's, we've got to find some consistency. Hopefully Lamella ball is back on track. And if he is, they should have enough. 30-point triple-double, 10th of his career. Let's hope it gets him back on track. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks. Catch you next week.